I invite you to take your Bibles, please, and turn to the book of Jonah, chapter 3, as we continue our study of this amazing little book in the Old Testament, Jonah, chapter 3. Uh, while you're turning to that, again, I want to encourage you to be part of this prayer walk this coming Saturday uh, from 10 to about 11.30. We want to walk through the neighborhoods and pray and also pass out invitations for the trunk or treat. Uh, in fact, there's a bunch of invitations back at the hub, and if you are living in a community where there are kids, uh, pick up a handful of those invitations and, and invite as many of the kids that are in your communities to be part of this uh, just wonderful opportunity to uh, open our, our uh, facility up to our community uh, and to share the gospel message because everyone that comes will receive uh, uh, information, a little uh, presentation about the gospel. It's all about Jesus. It's all about lifting him up. And then make sure that you bring your car on the 29th and have it all decorated up. It'd be wonderful to have about 100 cars out there, don't you think? Goodness sakes, 100 cars uh, with all kinds of candy and goodies? Goodness sakes, who could ask for anything more? So uh, anyway, this is something all of us can do. It's not hard to, to drive your car over here, open up your trunk and have it decorated and, and uh, just uh, engage with the kids that are going to be uh, doing the trunk or treat. So uh, take advantage of some of these opportunities. The more we can do things together like this, uh, the stronger and the better we will become. If you keep thinking, well, someone else is going to come. I don't need to be there. You're missing the whole emphasis that we want to have. We want to have engagement where everybody is involved and we don't wait for someone else uh, to take our place. We're there and we're fired up to serve Jesus. So this is, this is something's fairly easy to do. And uh, if you can drive, uh, if you can have some candy in your trunk, hey man, you're good to go. Goodness sakes. Uh, and it'll be a fun time. But uh, again, on Saturday, we want to encourage you to come for the prayer walk because uh, we want to season everything that we do here at East Bay in prayer. Now, if you'll keep your Bibles open to Joshua chapter 3, uh, we're going to dig into that this morning and uh, <clears throat> see if we can discover something that I think is very important for us to understand as the people of God. And that very important something is simply this, that second chances are hard to come by. Let me repeat that. Second chances are hard to come by, and when they do, we need to grab onto them because they may never come our way again. They may never come our way again. Second chances are hard to come by, and when they do, we need to grab them. One of the most astounding statements in all of Scripture is in Jonah chapter 3 and verse 1. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Wow, what a God we have. What a God we have. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. What a God. Remember, the last time we looked at Jonah, last week, Pastor Sheldon was talking to us that he had just been spit out of the whale's mouth on the dry ground because he finally did business with God and he made a recommitment of his life to God in the belly of that great fish. Now, can you imagine what Jonah must have looked like coming out of the mouth of that great fish? Slime all over him, mucus, all kinds of stuff. Can you imagine what he smelled like? Oh my. He was quite a sight. He spit out on dry ground. The next verse says, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Now, back in 1929, happened to be on New Year's Day, uh, the University of California was playing Georgia Tech in the famed Rose Bowl. And in the middle of that game, there was a California lineman who recovered a fumble, but somehow got disoriented 
and ran the wrong way 65 yards toward the opponent's goal. In fact, he was tackled by one of his own teammates a yard before he crossed the goal. Well, you can take a look at it right here. How about the most famous case of misdirection in the history of football? Wrong way, Roy Regals retrieves a fumble, then rockets 60 yards to the end zone. Roy, great play, wrong way. Wrong way, Roy Regals. I mean, what happened was he got tackled on the one-yard line. California couldn't move the ball. They had to punt, but the punt was blocked, and the opposing team scored a safety, which proved to be the winning margin in that game. Now, everybody in the stands, of course, is stunned. And the big question on everybody's mind is, what is the coach going to say to Roy Regals at halftime? Now, if you've ever been involved in sports, you know that when you make a mistake like that, you are probably in for a chewing out, to say the least. Well, they finished up the half, and the teams went to their respective locker rooms, and University of California went to their locker room, and Regals went in, and he sat in the back of the room with a towel over his head and was crying like a baby. No one said a thing. It was cold silence. Nothing was spoken. Pretty soon, ref came in and said, three minutes, you need to be back out on the field. Coach hadn't said a word. No one had said a word. It was Total silence that whole halftime. And so finally the coach gets up and he says, okay guys, uh, the same team that started the game is going to start the second half. So team got up, ran out to the field, except Roy Regals. He sat there with that towel over his head his eyes were drenched in tears, and he said, uh, I can't go out there, coach. I've embarrassed you. I've embarrassed the University of California. I've embarrassed all the fans. I can't go out there. I've messed up so bad. And the coach put his hand on Regal's shoulder, and he said, hey, Roy, it's just halftime. There's still another half to play. So Regals got up, took off the towel, and he played his heart out in the second half. Georgia Tech players will tell you that they never had experienced an opposing player quite like Roy Regals in that second half. I mean, he blocked punts. He tackled people behind the line of scrimmage. He, he recovered fumbles. He intercepted passes. He was a tiger out there. He gave it everything he had because his coach had given him a second chance. And when I read that about wrong way Roy Regals, I say, what a coach. Then I read here in Jonah chapter 3 and verse 1, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, and I say, what a God, what a God who would give this rebellious servant another opportunity to fulfill the command that he had given to him. Now, as we've been studying this uh, together as a church family, uh, we've discovered that Jonah's on the run from God. He's trying to put distance between himself and God. He faces all kinds of crisis situations, and after three crisis moments, he finally turns to God and cries, God, help! And God, in his mercy and in his grace, he forgives Jonah. He repents of his disobedience. And he finds that God is a gracious and a forgiving God, and he does an about face in the belly of that great fish. 
And he promises to follow through on that which he said he would never, ever do. Be very careful about saying, I'm never going to do it. Because chances are, you're going to end up doing something you said you would never do. And Noah, or excuse me, Jonah, he said he would never go to the city of Nineveh. He didn't believe those pagans deserved to hear anything about the gospel. But he experiences a revival in the belly of that great fish. God supernaturally preserves and protects him, and he learns of God's unfailing, fabulous love. And so, here he is. He's been in the belly for three days, and the word of the Lord comes to him the second time. You know, so many of us are just like Jonah. We take the ball, and we run in the wrong direction. Just like Jonah, just like Roy Regals, we stumble and fall. We're so broken, we're so ashamed of ourselves that we never want to try again. We are so put out that we have been so disobedient and so contrary to what God wants us to do, and we feel that we are finished There's never another opportunity for us to respond. And then God comes and he taps us on the shoulder and he says, Hey, it's time to get up. I'm giving you a new opportunity, a new opportunity to respond to my call on your life. That's the God of the Bible. That's the gospel of grace. Every one of us fall. We all mess up. We blow it. We're about to score a touchdown for the other team. And God says, get up. The game's only half over. What a great God Jonah has, and what a great God we have. No failure in our life is ever final. Our God gives us second chances. Aren't you thankful? He even gives us third and fourth chances many times. And when he does, when he gives us a second chance, we need to grab onto that and play our hearts out for him. Now that Jonah takes advantage of this second chance is dramatically played out for us here in Jonah chapter 3. God uses Jonah to accomplish three incredible feats this second time around. First of all, notice Jonah speaks the word of God. In verses 2 and 3, you have man versus a metropolis. I mean, this second time around, God gives to Jonah quite a task. It says in verse 3, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh, Now, Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah started into the city going a day's journey, and he proclaimed, 40 more days, and Nineveh will be destroyed. Now, notice the text. It says here that Nineveh is a world-class city. It's described as a great city, a very large city. It took some time to walk through that. In fact... Uh, archaeologists tell us that at that time Nineveh is probably one of the largest cities in the ancient world. Its circumference was some 50 to 55 miles. Moreover, some people say and they estimate that the population of Nineveh at that time uh, peaked over a million individuals. So Jonah is like a needle in a haystack. He's one man against this huge metropolis of people. He doesn't know a person in that city. He doesn't know anyone in that great city. For a moment, put yourself in Jonah's shoes. How would you feel? If you'd been called of God to go to this city that you don't know anything about, you don't know anyone there, and you're to proclaim the judgment of God against this city. I'm sure Jonah feels small and insignificant. He feels that he's totally inadequate for such a gigantic task. However, we must never forget that though the task is overwhelming to Jonah, 
it is not overwhelming to God who has given him a second chance. Indeed, God has already proved his adequacy to Jonah while he's been sloshing around in the inside of that whale. God's already showed him what a big God he is by preserving his life for three days and three nights in the belly of that great fish. And so, yes, from a human standpoint, the task seems to be overwhelming, insurmountable even. And yet, this is what God calls him to do. Now, look at the game plan that God gives to Jonah. Verse 2. He says, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give to you. In other words, he's not to take a tour of the city and view the historical highlights, the sights and sounds of the city. No, no, he is to go into the city and proclaim to it the message, notice, that I give you. Now underscore those words, the message I give you, because that is a little bit different from the first message God gave him back in chapter 1. If you'll turn back to chapter 1 and verse 2, notice Jonah chapter 1 verse 2, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come up before me. Now, he says something completely different in chapter 3. He says, go and proclaim this message that I give to you. This had to be very uh, settling to Jonah to know that God is going to give him the very words to speak. In fact, the fact that God doesn't say that in verse one of uh, verse two of chapter one tells us this may have been the reason he was on the run in the first place. He had no idea what he's going to say to the people. But now in chapter three, after he's experienced this re rebirth and revival in the belly of that great fish, God says, I want you to go now to this city and I'm going to give you the message that you are to speak And that settles Jonah. Initially, he doesn't know what to say. He doesn't know how he's going to communicate. But now he is assured that God's going to give him the very words that he needs to speak. So, he is told that though the city's wickedness has come up before me, in other words, the sin of Nineveh, just stop and think about this. The sin of Nineveh at this time is so great that it reaches up and touches the heavens. You talk about man's sinfulness, the treachery, the debauchery that was going on in that city. It had reached the very portals of the heavens. And the wrongdoing and the evil ways of that city had gone on for so many years. They are controlled by evil and lustful thoughts. A spirit of militarism and violence and terrorism controls them. They hadn't known the living or the true God. They didn't recognize who the true God is. They're polytheists. They worship many gods. They're constantly at war with themselves and with their neighbors. The people who lived in Nineveh were some of the most violent people on the face of the earth. They are the precursors of Osama bin Laden. All the terrorist activity that we see, the people in Nineveh are controlled by evil and the evil and the wickedness and the violence and the treachery of Nineveh is so great that it has reached the very portals of heaven. And God says to Jonah, I want you to go into this evil place, into this evil environment. And I want you to help them understand that God's had enough. He's not just to speak God's message to this city. God's message was very simple and to the point. Notice, 40 more days, verse 4, and Nineveh will be destroyed. When God speaks, it's never complicated. It's always straightforward. It's always clear and direct. 
And God's message for the people of Nineveh is very simple and to the point. Get right with God. Clean up your act. Or Nineveh is going to be destroyed. You see, God's will is always found in God's word. God's word is not confusing. To the contrary, God's word provides perspective. It provides guidance. It helps us to climb out of the hopelessness of life apart from God. And you take a look at all the great awakenings that have happened in our world And you will discover that God's word is the only antidote for a society and a culture and a people that has distanced itself from God and left him out of their value system and lifestyle. You see, God will not only, he will not always strive with nations. There comes a point where God says, I've had enough. The evil is so great, the violence, the treachery, all of this is so great. I've had enough. And Jonah, I want you to go into that city and give them a very simple message. You need to get right with God. You need to clean up your act. This, of course, is what happened in England when England was in a state of spiritual collapse and suffering from incredible immorality and atheism God raised up John and Charles Wesley, and their message wasn't sophisticated. It was a very simple message. It was not something that the people of England wanted to hear, but they needed to hear. It was a message that focused on how much God values people and that lost people matter to God. And in fact, people who don't care about God are God's number one concern. Put that in your mind. The people outside of Christ are his greatest concern today. That is what he is so concerned about. That's why Jesus went to the cross. He went there for people who don't care about him, who are running away from him, who think they know better than God. That's why he died. That's why he gave his life as a ransom for every single one of us. That was the message that Billy Graham preached back in 1948 in Los Angeles to over 100,000 people that launched his whole evangelistic ministry that spanned more than 70 years. He's spoken to more people than any other living evangelist alive. And the message of Billy Graham was very simple. God loves you and he's sent his son to be your savior and your Lord. It's not a complicated message. Sometimes we make Christianity very complicated. It's not complicated. People need a Savior. The world is lost in sin, and there's only one remedy, and it's through the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. Friends, this book is powerful, and when God's word came to Jonah, he didn't argue. (laughs) He, He went into that city, not knowing what the outcome was going to be, but he did have the word of God to back him up. And friends, let me tell you, when you have God's word backing you up, you don't need to fear. (laughs) Because God will take care of you, and he will guide you, and he will direct your hearts. Now, number two, Jonah sparks a spiritual awakening. And you see this in verse 5. The Ninevites believed God, they declared a holy fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. Now, what does this tell you about how God works? God not only gives Jonah the words that he is to speak to this evil city, but he has prepared their hearts because the moment they hear The word of God, instead of arguing, instead of putting up a lot of excuses, they immediately believe. They put their faith and their trust in the living God. And I want you to look at the stages of this awakening that was sparked by Jonah's faithful proclamation of the word. First of all, notice 
God's word pierces their minds. It pierces their minds. Verse 5, they believed God. It didn't take the people of Nineveh long to figure out whether this was just a word from God or if it was a word from man. Jonah speaks, the people believe. They put their faith in the living God who has spared Jonah and sent him on a mission to their city. Now, there's been a lot of speculation as to why the people responded so readily to Jonah's message. Some say they were oriental in background, and because of being, having an oriental background, they were given to a lot of emotion, and so this was nothing more than just an emotional response. Others speculate uh, <laughs> that word about Jonah's experience in the belly of the whale had spread to the city. I mean, wouldn't you want to hear from a prophet who claimed to be swallowed by Shamu? Well, I'm sure you'd want to figure that out. Well, all speculation aside, the fact of the matter is simply this, that God has put his words in Jonah's mouth, God speaks through Jonah, and the people respond. And they turn from their idol worship. They turn from their rebellious ways because the word of God penetrates, pierces their minds. Number two, it penetrates their hearts. Now, the people of Nineveh are not on a head trip. The word pierces their minds and goes right to their hearts. Notice the text says they called for a fast. They declared a fast in verse 5. Now it's very interesting <coughs> that when people in the east would call for a fast, it was an indication that something very significant or something very dangerous was about to happen. And when danger was imminent in the east, people would refuse drink and food. They would spend time praying to their pagan deities. But notice here, in response to the message of Jonah, they proclaim a fast and they fall on their faces, not before their idols, but look at verse 8. They call urgently on God, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone urgently call on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. In other words, the people, their minds are changed supernaturally. There's a complete change in their hearts, and they no longer are crying out to their deities. They are crying out to the living God. They're pouring out their hearts to him. They are confessing to him their wrongdoing. They're repenting of their evil ways. There was a mass revival that takes place. The people are broken before God. They hear the message. They hear the message of God, and it breaks their hearts. Very interesting. In Psalm chapter 51, verse 17, the Bible puts it very beautifully. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, you will not despise. You see, the people of Nineveh are broken. For the first time in their lives, they see themselves as they really are. Wicked, treacherous violent, full of sin. And as they declare this fast, they call not on their pagan gods, but on the living God. Let me put it this way. We will never experience personal revival in our lives until, first of all, we are broken before God. Too many of us make excuses for our sin. I mean, the Ninevites could have argued with Jonah. 
And yet I believe God so prepared them for Jonah's message that when he spoke the word, they recognized it was a word from God. And they were broken. They saw themselves as they had never seen themselves. They needed the living God in their lives. And this spiritual awakening not only reaches the people on the streets, notice, but it reaches the leaders of the city. Notice verse 6, when the news reached the king of Nineveh, I mean, this is the highest echelon in government. He rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in dust. He issued a proclamation in Nineveh by decree of the king, do not let any man or beast or herd or flock taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, let everyone, underline this verse, let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent with compassion and turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Very interesting. This, this pagan king who up to this moment was leading an evil empire, he hears what is happening, and the people in the streets are declaring a fast and humbling themselves before God, and he does the very same thing. And he has some insight into the compassion of the living God. Notice, he says, maybe if we really get right with God, that God, in his mercy, will not do as Jonah has said. It tells us how dramatic the change was in the mind of this king. Number three. Not only does it pierce the mind and penetrate the heart, but God's word prompts a change in lifestyle. Notice in verse 5 it says, And all of them, from the greatest of them to the least of them, put on sackcloth. It was no longer business as usual. Everything that they had been used to doing came to a complete stop. As this spiritual awakening begins to sweep through the city, they put on sackcloth, they sit in dirt. And sackcloth was a rough, kind of a scratchy material worn as a symbol of Humbling oneself, it was a symbol of grief and repentance. And the king himself puts on sackcloth in verse 6, discards his royal robes, and he sits in dust along with his people. These people mean business. They have heard a word from God. They don't just go through the motions of repentance they don't play act. They humble themselves and they turn from their rebellious ways. Notice what the king says in verse 8. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Their evil ways and their violence, their sin had never bothered them before. They were known for treachery. They were known for violence. They were the terrorists of the day. They mutilated people. They did things to other nations that are undescribable. They were a violent people, corrupt politically, uncivilized. They were treacherous. And their violence was especially noticed in the way they treated prisoners. They treated prisoners of war terribly. They would do unspeakable things to these prisoners. But now because they have responded to God's word and they've been challenged by the repentant king to return to God and to forsake their evil ways, God in his mercy, is kind toward them. There's something else here I want us to grasp. 
And that is simply this. It's not enough that the people turn from their evil ways. That's the first part of it. But the most important part of repentance is turning to God. In other words, we must not, genuine repentance is not only giving up our evil ways of living, it is turning to God and casting ourselves on the mercy and the grace of God and saying, God, I've sinned. I need you. I'm corrupt. I need you to change me from the inside out. You see, that's what Jonah needed. And he experienced that kind of revival in the belly of that great fish. When he stopped running from God and he calls out to God for the very first time. He had many opportunities to call out to God in that second chapter. But he waited until the last minute. Then he calls out on God and God changes Jonah. And now God is using Jonah to change the whole complexion of the city of Nineveh. And that leads us to the last point that God spares the city of Nineveh. Verse 10, when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring upon them the destruction that he had threatened. In a word, God changed his mind in dealing with these people. He sees a couple of things. Number one, he sees the seriousness of their repentance. He sees how the word of God has pierced their minds and, and prompted them for life change and penetrated their hearts. And instead of showering them with wrath, as he had promised, he withdrew. And he showered them with compassion, with love, and mercy. And number two, he not only sees the seriousness of their repentance, but he changes his resolve. You see, sometimes we have a poor perception of God. We think that God is some kind of a bully. He likes to just wipe every person out that isn't walking the straight and narrow. And yet, my friends, God is a compassionate God. You know, he's done everything possible so that no one would ever end up in eternity without him. Do you realize that hell was created for the devil and his angels? It was never, ever created for human beings. And Jesus, in going to the cross and laying down his life, he's done everything. He's died for us. He bore the punishment that we deserved. He's been resurrected for us. The Bible says that he's coming back for us. He's done everything possible so that we could experience life and joy and peace and relationship with him that will last forever. But we need to take advantage when there is a day of mercy. Today is the day of salvation. Today is another opportunity that God's given every single one of us. He's giving us another chance to respond to the gospel of grace. You see, this passage also tells us simply this, that sin is offensive to God. It breaks his heart. The Bible says in James chapter 4 and verse 17, whoever then knows to do the, do good and doesn't do it, to him it is sin. You see, God can't just blink. 
his eyes at man's rebellion. When we gossip, we hurt God. When we disobey our parents, we hurt God. We sin. When we cheat on our exams and don't report our income to the government, we transgress. When we play around with sex and drugs, we offend our holy God. When we fill our minds with pornography and other trash, we sin. When we abuse our families, we sin. Our world is facing pure evil today. The treacherousness of sin is right in front of us. And God is calling the church today to be a holy people. To be a people after God's own heart. You see, we don't have to go on sinning. We can turn away from that which pulls us away from God and respond to love and mercy which pull us toward God. Jonah's God is a God of the second chance. He's a God that always stands ready to forgive if we will but come to him just as we are. You see, this is what makes Christianity completely different from all the other world religions. In all the other world religions, you have to get yourself in a good place before the God will accept you. But in Christianity, Christianity invites us to come to God just as we are, broken people. People that are tainted with sin. And he will meet us at the point of our need. We don't have to be all cleaned up before we come to God. We can come to him with all of our baggage and all of our issues and all the other things that have kept us from God and we can experience deliverance and healing and health because we have put our trust in him. Number two, second chances are given so that we can become different people. Many of us, we live our lives as if we will live forever. I know I did. Back in 1999, I was of the opinion that I could do anything I set my mind to. I could abuse my body. I could spend hours and hours at work. I could do whatever I wanted to do, and I had everything under control. I'd been on the road as a superintendent, talking to other churches, came home Thanksgiving time to be with the family, had Thanksgiving dinner, took a walk with Sandy, and I couldn't get my breath. Do you realize every time we breathe in and out, it's a gift of God? I couldn't get my breath. I thought, well, I'm just tired. I'll take a nap, which is the worst thing you can do when you're having heart issues. So I took a nap. I slept for about four hours. Got up, kind of walked from here to that front bench. Couldn't get my breath. Before I knew it, My son-in-law said, Dad, you better get to the hospital. So I drove myself to ReadyMed. Went to ReadyMed, and they put all these thingamajiggies all over you, and found out that my enzymes were all elevated. Before I knew it, I was in an ambulance off to the hospital. One o'clock in the morning, somebody came into my room and said, 
Mr. Strubar, who's your cardiologist? I said, who? I said, you tell me. I don't know who. I, I don't have a cardiologist. Never been sick a day in my life. Cardiologist came in the next morning and he said, Mr. Strubar, he said, you were on a cliff hanging on by your toenails. You were ready to have a massive event. I didn't realize, but people were telling me that I had looked gray for some time. I just thought I was tired. They couldn't do the what do they call it, the angioplasty? I call it the roto-rooter thing, you know, to kind of get your arteries all cleared out. It was so blocked, I was over 90% blocked on the left, about 70% blocked on the, or on the right, and on the left, I was blocked at the joint. They couldn't do it. They were afraid they would, uh, you know, chip off something, and then it would be no good. So before I know it, I'm split open, and I have, Four bypasses. I said, I, can't, I, can't, I don't have time for this. I've got things to do. I've got places to go. I've got schedules to keep. But that changed the whole trajectory of my life. There's not a day that passes that I don't think about my own death. I realize that this that happened some 20 years ago, every day is a new gift that God has given to me. And my friends, when God gives us second chances, and I feel like he's given me many more than second chances, we need to seize them and make the best of them for the glory of God. The sad thing is, as we come to the end of this message this morning, is simply this. That after Jonah experiences all the blessings of God, he is personally given a second chance. God uses him to bring a whole city to their knees. For the most part, Jonah still remains unchanged. He still doesn't get it. And so next week, we're going to look at this man that God used in an incredible way, and we find that he's under a tree pouting because God didn't do things his way. My friend this morning, I don't know where you're at. I don't know what's been going on in your life. But let me say this. God has given you a second chance today. If you need to renew your commitment to Jesus, if you need to have someone to pray for you, maybe you're going through a difficult time, maybe you need Jesus for the first time in your life, we're just going to open up the altar here this morning. And you can come just as you are. You don't have to have it all figured out. But the God that spared Nineveh is the very same God that can change our lives this morning as we allow him to do that. Let's stand for closing prayer, shall we? I just want to encourage you as the Holy Spirit speaks, if you want to do business with God, if you need to get yourself realigned with his purposes, whatever you need to do. Maybe you just need to come and pray. Just the altar is open. Today is the day of salvation. We don't have any guarantees. Tomorrow may be way too late. That's why it's so important that we seize the moment that God gives us. Father in heaven, in these quiet moments, may your Holy Spirit work in our hearts. And if there are those here today that, like Jonah, they need to take advantage of another opportunity where they've heard the gospel, where they've heard the truth of the word of God, and it's penetrated their minds and their hearts, Lord, 
help them to take that additional step and just surrender everything to you. Lord, in these quiet moments, as your Holy Spirit is speaking, may you prompt those that you desire to come and experience a transformation in their life, even today. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're just going to tarry here for a few moments. If you want to do business with God, if you want to experience the presence of Jesus in your life in a new way, we invite you to come. Just come. Just come as you are. We're happy to pray with you. Whatever else is on your mind, God's given you a second chance. Just come on. Come on. Listen to the Holy Spirit. Allow him to change you. Allow him to transform you. God is speaking to hearts. Those of you up in the balcony, we'll wait for you. Come on down. Experience the presence of Christ in your life. Whatever the Spirit is speaking to you about, just mind Jesus. We give you these moments. Father in heaven, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for your goodness and your grace. Lord, we're so glad that you give us second chances. Give us opportunities to get things right between ourselves and you. Whatever else you've been speaking to us about, Lord, there's wonderful freedom in just coming to you just as we are with all of our foibles and our faults and experiencing the presence and power of Jesus. So, Lord, as we dismiss the service, we do so with thanksgiving for your great faithfulness. Bless these who have come. May they experience freedom and joy as they never have experienced it before. We will give you praise and glory. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and that sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you now and evermore we pray. Amen. Good morning. Maranatha, God bless you. If you'd like to come and pray with some of these folks, feel free to do that as well. God bless you.